Hi, I'm Kelly Richards, and I'm a Senior Vice President for RayCap. How do you consider the needs of 5G today so that you are looking forward and you are building for things that you need in the future, even though you're not completely sure you know, what those things are going to look like? I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hey, Kelly, it's so nice to have you on the podcast. So thank you for joining me. Thank you, Kat. I really look forward to this conversation. Yeah, it should be fun. And We're mostly going to be talking about sustainability in 5G, which is interesting and not something I've really thought that much about. So I'm excited to delve deeper into it. But before we do that, I'm going to ask that question that I always ask all my guests, which is, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I'm I'm really happy to answer that. Um, You know, I feel empowered as a woman. So, so I have that, um, I have that perspective. I recognize that that's not true for, for everyone. And I, I think there's most women in wireless will tell you that wireless is a male dominated industry. And I will make this observation kind of in a lighthearted way with a lot of my colleagues who are, who are male. And I'll joke that, you know, there's, there's never a line for the women's restroom in all of these conferences um, that we attend. So it's obvious there's a line for the women's restroom everywhere else you go, right? So it's obvious in that way that we're definitely the minority in in this industry. You know, um, over that time, you know, in the last 14 years that I've spent in wireless, I have kind of developed this mantra in my head that was, a way to sort of power through and, and feel accepted. And it was think like a man. And only in the last few years, really, have I, have I uh, you know, changed that. Um, what that meant to me was maybe don't be emotional. Don't show too much passion. Be very concise. You know, engage your critical thinking skills. All these kinds of things that for whatever reason, for a number of years, I had attributed to to male thinking. And so, you know, certainly over the last um, few years, these conversations of of gender equality and and racial equality, right? These diversity conversations are happening and inclusion is, is, is much, a much greater thing today than it even was a few years ago. And so, you know, when I think about times when I've been empowered as a woman. For me, I had just sort of this self-realization that I am empowered because I'm a woman. I am able to use, do all of those things, critical thinking, decisive, you know, make hard decisions. Um, Plus I have a lot of passion and yes, I have some emotion and, and all of those things about being a woman for me have earned that place at the table. What you were saying about not wanting to show your passion too much 
for the industry or for your work or be too emotional. It reminds me of something my sister said to me. My sister's nine years older than me. So a lot of what I've learned about being a woman in the world, I've learned from her because I saw her go through it. And she's actually a biologist. She was studying ring-tailed lemurs, actually. And I asked her if she thought they were cute. And her response was, I'm not allowed to think that they're cute. I'm not allowed. Mm, I haven't yeah. thought about it. I don't think I'd be taken as seriously if I thought they were cute. So yeah, I I, I have a daughter. She's she's 24 now, and she, so she's she's postgraduate. Um, but she started in engineering. She's in finance. She graduated in finance, and even she and I have had conversations where I I you know as part of this sort of toughening right a, a toughening of women so that they can can um, be successful in these sort of these challenging roles, it's, well, you know, don't show, it's always, don't show too much emotion, be careful about your passion, don't be too girly, right? Maybe have more masculine wardrobe, you know, things that now I'm, I'm just really happy to say, we don't have to do any of that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you are here to discuss sustainability and 5G, which is what I mentioned earlier, you know, what is so different about 5G compared to previous generations of cellular technology as it pertains to infrastructure and sustainability specifically? I'm aware of how 5G is, you know, vastly superior to previous generations, but just in the context of this conversation, is it more wasteful or is it more of a concern in 5G? Okay, so there's a lot of questions there, and but I'll tell you, let's break it down. So when you first think about, we're an infrastructure provider. Um, that's what Raycap does. So we provide a lot of products and, and custom products for infrastructure to support all of the technology, right? So when you think about infrastructure and the generational change, you know, 3G to 4G, LTE, and, and now 5G. So what happens associated with that technology advancement from an infrastructure standpoint is you had with 4G, you had the macro sites and the propagation of that signal would be maybe a a mile, you know, a mile radius. And so now with 5G, you have millimeter wave um, being used on these high bands. So what you have with with 5G now is you're accessing these these much higher radio, radio frequencies. And so you have these higher bands and millimeter wave is incredibly fast across this this wide this, these wide bands um, that are at the high frequency range. So now you have less propagation. So you have to have sites that are much much closer together, and that's been the advent of of the small cell. So the change in infrastructure, really, the architecture change, is moving from all of the reliance on the macro sites, although still very important, the addition now is, is a lot of small cells. And so to make this work in our streets and to make this work in our communities, you have these small cells in areas that typically weren't um, accessing you know, telecom equipment. So you have that, that change in architecture is, is um, significant. Now, the, the advancement and the thing that, things that come with 5G, you know, all of these kinds of advancements, when you think about self-driving cars and you think about automation and virtual reality, and, and it's an incredibly fast um, technology and low latency, right? No delays. So you have to have this consistent 
infrastructure build out that is not going to have disruption? Well, the technology doesn't do very well with um, disruption so or, or, or obstacles in front of the signal. So what we have really worked on, and it, it has definitely has a sustainability component, is how do you consider the needs of 5G today so that you're looking forward and you are building for things that you need in the future, even though you're not completely sure you know, what those things are going to look like? From my perspective, I gathered that cities of the future and smart cities are going to be more sustainable. Because I feel like that's something people talk about. They're like, oh, well, if you have sensors, they can monitor energy consumption so that we can do it more efficiently. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big pillar, I feel like, of cities of the future. But at the same time, 5G and the infrastructure needed for 5G is a huge part of that story, right? Like a huge part of this smart city, smart factory story. So Mm -hmm. I guess my question is more, how do these two different ideas kind of fit? In Like, how can we implement 5G and all the needed infrastructure to still uphold this idea that future cities and factories and networks are going to be more sustainable? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, in the in the wireless industry, um, it's there's there's sort of a a saying it, it takes a lot of wires to make wireless. And so, you know, you have your mobile phone, right? And it, it doesn't have wires, but clearly the sites that, that are, are serving that mobile phone have a lot of a lot of cable associated with that. You have the significant fiber footprint across the country in order to create these kinds of these kinds of um, hubs. So yes, it, it's a smart grid um, is still gonna require some power, you know, to 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 make that happen. Um now, when you think about the smart city initiatives and you think about the kinds of things we can benefit from that, um, I do think the carriers and, and companies are very interested in a sustainable method to deploy more small cells. So they're, if for no other reason, it needs to be very cost effective, right? So they're not interested in spending in increasing energy costs or spending money and then ripping something out a month later or a year later and replacing that. So they're they're definitely interested in in a more um, sustainable approach. Uh, what we have done as a company is we've tried to to look at how can you design products that take into consideration what might be needed. So there's a future proof. Um, design a future-proof element to those designs, but also that are robust and don't um, require this kind of replacement or um, upgrade down the line. So you have something that's long-lasting. And and that's something Raycap's done really well. Um, We have, I'll give you an example. That's not really a 5G example, but it does give you an idea of how um, sustainable products can be um, incorporated into the architecture. in 2000, 2002, we came out with a new product that we patented at that time. It was a, a two-year research and development effort that we have um, deployed in the U.S., this, this, um, this module it's called StrikeSorb. We deployed that in the U.S. in more than, we have more than 4 million modules across the U.S. in cell sites. And before we had developed that technology in the industry, 
this um, it's it's an SPD, which is a surge protection device for um, transients from the grid or from lightning, right? And so the idea behind this technology is it supports and, and protects the the equipment, the radios, the um, the antennas, all the equipment that is necessary to to provide a, a mobile network. And so prior to our development, it used to be these SPDs would maybe protect the equipment, but they would fail. And so the idea was they actually did their job, if you would, if they failed. And that required that there's a ton of waste there. There's a ton of expense with that, the operating expense associated with with all of those replacements. And then, of course, the disruption to the service. So it was really a flawed um, approach to, to this, this sort of um, protection technology. So we came out with that product and you sell it once and, and, and install it once and then it never fails. And so the idea was prior to, prior to this sort of um, sustainable approach, well, yes, okay, it fails and then you replace it and, and, and that's fine. But we have now still zero failures with 4 million modules out there. So that has been sort of a core of the company. How do you create something that's, that's really sustainable and robust and long lasting? So I can jump right into our, our next advancement with that. Um, but that's, that's, that's an idea of how you, how you design um, in a sustainable way. Like you said, uh, let's, you know, we can get right into what Raycap is kind of working on and focused on right now and some more recent products. Sure. Okay. So, so the movement with 5G and the advancement with 5G has really created a lot of awareness in, in our communities about, yes, what this technology is bringing, but also some concerns about the aesthetics and the, and the sustainability around this kind of architecture. Um, you now see nodes on, on light poles and on street corners, and, and um, that, that's a new thing in a, in a lot of communities. And so communities have been very engaged. And, and carriers and, and infrastructure companies have been very engaged as well. And so you see a lot of public forums, you see a lot of input, you see a lot of um, really trying to work together and collaborate to create designs and communities that are everybody is happy with. They're happy with the look of it, they're happy with the location, and then they're happy with the, the service it provides. And so you have this, this sort of coming together um, in a way that didn't happen before before 5G necessarily. So with this community involvement, we became very aware um, that there was going to be a real need for companies who have this proactive um, approach to to um, design and sustainability to to have a place here. We made an acquisition two years ago of a concealment company that was doing a lot of these kinds of concealments on macro sites, but now we wanted to take that and, and, and further that development and look at the small cell. So what we did right away is we engaged in a in a probably a year-long R&D process to develop a, a product, a material that allows the concealment of um, millimeter wave radios with practically zero loss of signal. And so you have all the benefits that you have with the radios being out in the open, but now you have them in a nice, aesthetically pleasing, sustainable way. Um, and, and the communities then can have a lot of involvement in what they want that to look like. From a sustainability standpoint, 
What's nice about this InvisiWave material is while it's perfectly suited to millimeter wave, it's also backwards compatible to the sub six frequencies. So you don't have to, in the future, replace something because you're changing out your technology or mixing your technology. I'm pretty interested in the community aspect of this whole conversation around network densification and site build out. What does that process look like? You know, do you, are you showing the communities this, this product and saying, look, this is what it's going to look like? Oh, yes. Communities definitely have a say. Um, I, can, I can point you to an example. We have um, been through a long process supporting approval through, um, they call it Do It. It's in New York City. Um, so, so the technology um, jurisdiction in New York City also then works right alongside what they call the Public Design Commission. So you have the PDC and you have these back and forth um, groups who are all weighing in. And then, and then there's a lot of public input to that too. And so in this case, we're not front and center um, doing the advocacy but we're supporting the carriers in these in these cases behind the scenes. There are many, many cases across the country where we will do this kind of um, advocacy directly with um, different kinds of jurisdictions. So it just kind of depends on what's needed. Certainly that's something um, that that we can do. But I will tell you, in, in practically every case across the country, when you have these kinds of community forums and this, this design and approval process and that, that eventually um, leads to some sort of permitting process, there's a lot of detail and there's there's a lot of involvement and opportunity for the community to be very involved and get the, and you know give input. And that drives design for sure. All right. Well, that was all I had for you, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah, I always enjoy doing these. It's a good way to end the day. <laughs> I love that you're doing it. It's it's a great way to engage. You know, it's a great way to engage more women and get a different perspective on on um, all the technology and all of the the path forward. So, good for you. Thank you. Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. Today's show was produced and edited by me, Catherine Spaglia. <laughs>